we're going to get into the Word. I have an interesting word for us today. I don't think we're going to get through it all. The good thing is that we, we'll be here next week. We need uh, to stand for truth, yeah? Yes. And we need to stand sometimes just for common sense. Common sense. When society, I'm doing this in the beginning on purpose, just stir you up a little bit. It's not a trick. But when society starts to believe that a man can become pregnant, that's a problem. When society starts to believe that I can be a woman today and a man tomorrow and a woman the next day and a man, and it just is not even common sense. That doesn't mean I have anything against any person. It doesn't, and neither should you. We don't fight flesh and blood. They're not our fight. But when truth and common sense goes, we actually need to stand for truth. When children are exposed to horrific things that would never enter their mind, but it's called education, it's not okay. It's, it's really not. And when I found when the meaning of words, love, tolerance, um, equal, when, when these words are twisted and start to mean the things that they don't mean so that you can say what you're doing is love and so they twist it and the issue is is that many people are deceived and everybody thinks the other person is deceived well you don't see it from this point you don't see it from this point and so what's happening is we're having a generation now that is coming up in this nation specifically that is watching it's like watching parents tear each other apart, but then say, oh, but you guys need to get along. They are not being developed on how to even begin to think about disagreeing but unity. Hello? Am I speaking to somebody? I thought that was pretty good preaching. So <laughs> we need competence. We need character in leadership. And there's, uh, psychologists are saying that over 70% of the United States right now has a high form of anxiety. High form of anxiety. 70% of people. That's, that's not normal. And when there's no competence, when things like, and I'm not just picking issues, I'm doing this on purpose, when things like the boundary of a nation, that is literally what a nation is, when even that is no longer okay, the competence is gone. When what is actually built as a mouthpiece, I mean as a, as a accountability structure, which is the media, to government, when they become the mouthpiece of the ones they're supposed to be keep, keep accountable, other side, things are like this. And last time I preached, I spoke about Ephesians 4, the necessity of the church in this hour to remember and to believe and to understand what Jesus gave us in the form of Ephesians 4 gifts. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. You have five gifts, four gifts. We can fight about that all day. Why? Because it says that these gifts, gifts equip the saints for the work of the ministry, yeah? And where I wanted to get to and I didn't, it also says that these gifts, these are people on the earth, people that God gives to his bride. It says that because of these, these people, because of these gifts, because of the recognition that we have leaders that can equip us in the things of God, it says they, they cause us to grow up. 
It says that we would no longer be children tossed back and forth by every wave and wind of doctrine. Now, if you grow up in the church, doctrine to you is a religious term. But you know that doctrine is not a religious term? It's a set of values. It's a set of principles. And so what happens is one side does something, and everyone on that side, whoa, yay. And then a little while later, that side. And then a little while later, that side. And the nation becomes like children tossed back and forth, back and forth between every wind and wave of doctrine. Am I speaking to somebody? And it's common sense. We all see it, but what do we do? It's a difficult thing to do. So we need to employ courage. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite quotes, it's just simply this, courage, dear heart speaking to his own heart. We need courage. And we need to stand for truth, not opinions. Opinions put up walls. Truth sets free. Truth makes free. Opinions will put up walls. But we need to stand for truth without making people our fight. That's tricky. Actually understanding that the people who are screaming at you are your focus of affection, the goal of the church. So we need to stand up with courage and employ boldness in the face of darkness without making people our fight, without ever attempting or thinking that we can sit in judgment over one other person. We can't judge them. We're not their judge. We don't have that right or that authority. In fact, James 4 says, you who judge another, and it starts to point out that if you sit in judgment over this person, you actually see yourself as Christ. Go read it carefully, James 4. It's not a good thing to think that we are called to judge someone. Without ever tying, don't let me lose you here. Stand up for truth. Stand up with courage without tying the peace in your heart to a vote. Oh boy. The Bible says in Ephesians, for he himself is our peace. Because if you tie your peace and your sanctity to the vote or the condition of a government, you will become tossed back and forth by every wave and wind of doctrine. There are people across this wonderful creation of God's green earth that live in many forms of government as believers and shine for the Lord. However, God has chosen to put you here. In this time, sorry, Don, I forgot to test them. In this time and in this hour, the Bible says God determines exact times and places, locations. So they, he actually believes in you. Do you ever think about that? The Bible says that he has lofty thoughts of you. And he's thinking them constantly, good thoughts, thoughts to prosper you. There are solutions to things that seems like there's no solution. And God has put them in his people. Hello? So he must really believe in you. I know he's the answer. You know he's the answer. I'm not saying you're some superhero. But love believes all things. And he's put you here now. There are solutions that he wants to put in his people to bring answers, to bring solutions, and to do it the right way. Without making people your fight, without judging someone, without, but yet standing for truth, standing with honor, without compromising, 
It's become difficult, yeah? Is it just me? Okay, you're not living under a rock. That's great. So today I want to preach for the little time that I have left. I want to preach a message called Glory Through Suffering. It is an unbalanced message. (laughs) There is another side to this coin that I'm about to talk to you about. There is another side, but every message, you can't balance every, you just don't have the time. So if, don't leave here today thinking that I think that the devil should push us around. No, we are more than conquerors. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do not let the enemy push you around. However, the other side of that, there is something called the sufferings of Christ in the Bible. And the glory of God is attached sometimes to suffering. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that. It's not a popular message in the West. The ancients knew it. The early church knew it well. The disciples lived it. Can we look together? Great chat. Let's go to 1 Peter 2, please. 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, we're going to look at this. We're going to look, God willing, two principles. Spend most of the time on the first one. And then once you see, or two principles or truths, once you see that truth, you'll actually see it all over. You'll see it all over the New Testament. It just, as, when it becomes a revelation to you, you see it everywhere. And then, how do we do this practically? So, let's jump into it. 1 Peter 2, 18 to 25 says, Servants, now this is in the context of in the workplace. Here they're called slaves or servants because that's how it was, but this can be applied to the marketplace. It says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. That means reverence, respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. Now, masters and bosses and CEOs, this is not a word for you, just the Lord saying, hey, you can be harsh. No, please, read on. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. In other words, you do the right thing, but you're punished for it. For what credit is it if you are beaten for your faults and you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer... If you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Oh, that's, I don't like that scripture. For this, for to this, you were called. That's a strong word. Because Christ also suffered for us. As I said in the worship, we beat him. He did nothing wrong. Leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. That's quoting Isaiah 53. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges justly or righteously, who himself bore his, our sins in his body on the tree, that we, that's the cross, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For we, like sheep, were going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So the sufferings of Christ, who's heard many scriptures that talks about we are to continue in the sufferings of Christ. Let me just say that it's not talking about sickness. Please understand that. They're very different words in the Greek. The Father will not put something on you that Jesus paid for, which I'm not going to get into that now. But God can use that. I mean, it's, he didn't want that. He didn't author that upon you, but he can still turn anything for good, right? He can, he can make gold with anything. But sufferings, hardship, persecution, the word, the Greek word is thlipsis, is a hard path. 
the Thlipsis path. And the theme, this what Peter's talking about, if you understand 1 Peter in general, this theme runs through the whole book. Some people have summarized the book of Peter into one sentence, returning good for evil. So let's read on. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3. It says here, And who is he, verse 13, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? And what he's saying then is, listen, if you do the right thing, it's less likely that you're going to get some difficulty. But sometimes in some seasons on the earth, in some seasons of time in nations, in whatever, for whatever reason, this will happen. And he says, and who is he will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, called blessed. It says this, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. It says in the Greek, do not fear their fear. Actually, it says it that, like that. Meaning, the things that they are using to make you afraid is because they themselves are afraid. And I'm not talking about people. There's spirits behind the people. There's principalities behind the, the whatever. They themselves are afraid. So they, in their fear and panic, they use that to make you afraid. And fear is like, it's like contagious. Then now you're afraid. And then you become afraid. And then you do not fear their fear. Do not be afraid of their threats, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you. I heard this preached so many times as a young believer, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about you and as if like I must be some expert, biblical scholar, apologetic genius. Whoever felt like that? Is it just me? And you're like, well, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, you're just like, no, I'll just keep quiet. But it doesn't really mean that. We'll look at that today. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for reason, for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God. In other words, not if, I, if I punch someone and then I get something back, yeah, it's, yeah, it's on me. If I do a corrupt business deal and it's discovered and now I get in trouble, it's not really suffering for righteousness. You weren't called to that. God will help and there's mercy and he'll find a way out and God's an amazing father and you'll learn and you'll grow. That's not what this is talking about. And he says, having a verse 16, having a good conscience that when you that defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So it gives us some practical tools. First, I'm going to talk to you briefly about decisions and positions. It says, instead of being in fear, do not let their fear become your fear. It says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. That doesn't mean sanctify Jesus. Sanctify to be set apart, to make holy, to sanctification. That doesn't mean I'm like, Jesus needs to be better. No, he is great. It means separate in your heart. Make the decision. I belong to him. Make a decision. 
hear it, not talking about salvation. In the matter of business, in the matter of family, in the matter of a nation, in the matter of a vote, in the matter of a picket, anything. I separate my heart before the conversation comes, before the battle comes. I can't decide it then. I have sanctified the Lord in my heart. I stand with truth, even when it's difficult, even when it's tough. So in no way am I saying be a doormat, just suffer. That is actually the opposite of what I'm saying. I'm saying have courage and make a decision in your heart about every little day conversations. Don't look for fights, but I'm going ahead of myself. So the first practical thing, the decision. Because without this, you go no further. You go no further. You can't carry on in the verse. You can't carry on in the process, in the, in the helps that the Holy Spirit is giving us here about well, how do we do this in a day and age such as this. This is how Peter lived. He lived in a similar time. Similar things were happening. Then he says, so sanctify the Lord in your heart. That's the decision. Then he says, always be ready to give a defense. You know that word defense? Apologia. Apologia. That's where we get apologetics. That's why we were taught... You know, it's like to understand everything about creation and everything. And, and it was always so overwhelming. But it says, give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason. That word reason is the word logos, like word, logos, speech. It's actually also the word doctrine. Ta-da, see? <laughs> always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. So what's going to happen is there's a hope in you and it says, be ready to defend it with the decision that you've made, the doctrine behind it, the truth behind it. So, <coughs> excuse me, that doesn't mean this perfect understanding of the Bible and some great apologetic speaker. It means it's the best that you know now. Whatever you know now, it's the best that you know. It doesn't mean you have to be this orator. It just says, speak the truth plainly, with common language, doesn't help to throw scriptures at people. I'm losing friends today. You can't go to a person who doesn't even acknowledge the Lord and they say, why do you do this? Well, bless God. Like, what? Are you, what? What are you talking about? That's, that's, a, that's a wall, instantly. Be ready to give a reason, a doctrine, a set of values without condemning them. Be ready to give it, it says, a defense. It must make sense. It must be sensible for the hope that is in you. So it doesn't mean that they have to understand it because it may be based on faith. And you may look absolutely foolish, and that's when the trouble starts. Well, that's dumb. How can you believe that? Don't you know the sign? Don't you know? And the whole process. Don't get in a fight. Say, this is the best I know in my heart. Simple. Is this helpful? Peter lived with this. He lived under the rule of Rome, the Greek culture invading them and the law of the Jews that there was now going away and coming into the life of the spirit. All sorts of things going on. He dealt us with this every day. 
Doesn't mean they have to understand it or agree with you. And you may not be able to explain it. Who's ever felt like a fool? Yeah, many times. I, I can't do that. Why? I just can't. Oh, you so holier than thou. I'm sorry, I, I, I can't. A business deal is going well, but then there's an opportunity for it to go better, but it's a little bit deception. And someone stands up and says, I can't do that. Whatever it may be. Come out, come over here. We're going to go do, I can't. You guys go for it, have fun. I, simple. Not condemning. Well, you and don't you. Lost those people. What about the attitude that, that a Christian, Christ himself is our peace in a day and hour when everyone is panicking, when it seems like we have life events that are happening every week. You know, you see those memes on social media. I'm not on social media, but you see those memes. What, book of, what chapter of Revelation are we living today? It's, you know, there's a lot going on. And so there's a lot of emotional and people are, it's all over the place for some people and it builds inside. But then they see you, and they see a hope in you, a peace in you, a calm in you. Maybe not all the time. <laughs> it's not all the time for me. And, and it, it starts to bring a question. And you can't explain it. You can try, especially if you're a new believer. You can't, you're like, ah, Jesus. They're like, oh, gee, you know. You don't have to be able to explain it. Just tell the truth. Don't compromise. Tell the truth but don't look for fights. Then there's some instruction on what manner in how we answer. It says three instructions, with meekness and fear, that means reverence or respect, and with a good conscience, which is what I've already said. Meekness doesn't mean soft, gentle, mild, people think that. It actually means, that is a part of it, it means gentle but extreme power under control, channeled, meek. The meek will inherit the earth. So with meekness, with authority, calm. Not reactionary, not hype, calm, meek. But also with respect. Can I say something that might offend you a little bit? Don't expect from people what God doesn't. Oh boy. We can't enforce even policies on people that don't have the spirit in them. You can live according to your values and truths, absolutely. But you can't force your perspective, even your belief, on another person. Even God gives choice. You can't force it. Oh, but you can pray and you can preach and you can live and you can declare and you can be bold and you can stand with courage and let them see it by your good conduct. And this cancel culture thing has made everybody afraid because everyone's like, well, if I stand up for truth, there's, there's stuff people will find out. Hello, I'm an ex-drug addict. I would have been canceled in a minute. Don't care. 
with meekness and with fear and having a good conscience, meaning don't go against the Spirit of God in your heart. You'll know it. You can say certain things, and as it, there's something else. I could say this. It makes this awkward moment a little easier. Uh, and it's coming, and your conscience goes, mm, mm, mm. Mm, no, no. Mm, shh, 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 mm. Don't betray that. Keep your conscience. See how simple it is? Oh, but it's hard. Go out there. Oh, it's hard. And what follows? I love what follows because it's what's interesting. It says, with meekness, with fear, having a good conscience, that when, can you say that when? Not if. Not if. So you do, you're living, you, you do your best, you're calm, respectful, you love this person, you've prayed for this person. You, I mean, you've done it well. And you think, okay, thank you, Lord Jesus. And it says, and when they defame you. Not if, oh, it's still coming. It's coming. Today, you don't have to go look for a fight. Just stand for truth. It'll come to your door. It's coming. Hard and fast. It says that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. You don't do it so that they may be ashamed on you. I'm never going to get away with that. But you don't do it for that. When they cast your name out as evil, what is the response? What did Jesus say in Luke 6? When this happens, sorry, somebody <laughs> says, share your password. Somebody's trying to get on the Wi-Fi and says, share your password with this person. No. So that, <laughs> sorry, that was distracting. That when they defame you as evildoers, they're, so they're going to defame you. They're going to do that. How you deal with that? Is very important. What does Jesus say in Luke 6? Rejoice. I'll read it to you. I don't think I have it up behind us. I don't. It says here in Luke 6, this is a personal story for me. I was in ministry just a little while, and the truth is I used to get mocked, and, and people used to talk about me, especially the people in the church, Partly because, you know, they said, I used to love to pray and I used to love to pray at night and they would go to movies. And I often found myself in this position where it was, I was so just drawn to the Lord and I, I just wasn't interested in that stuff. And that's, those seasons don't remain forever. They, they come in seasons. And they're always holier than thou. And some of them really tore into me about being balanced. And sometimes the worst thing you can say to a new believer is balance. You know, just the zeal of God was consuming me. And these people tore into me. And some of them were leaders. And I remember I went to this gentleman's house, a very godly man. His name was Vickers, Afrikaans gentleman. And I went and he had one of those homes. You know those homes, it's just peaceful. They're always there. They're not going anywhere. It's reliable. And I went there into the home and I just sat there and opened my Bible. He had enough wisdom. He was sitting there by the fire and he looked at me and he saw the tears, said nothing. And I opened up the word and I just read this. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and cast your name out as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed great is your reward in heaven. And the tears just began to flow down my face because it still hurts. But it says rejoice. So according to Scripture, 
to suffer for, the, for righteousness' sake, for the kingdom's sake, for Jesus' sake. Just not all, there's many more. Just the scriptures that we read. It says, great is your reward in heaven. It says it is commendable before God. It says you are blessed, but there's more. Now we're getting on to these two truths that I spoke about. First truth. Well, look at the next verse. Let's read verse 17 again. Actually, it says here what? It says, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than evil. Now watch this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Hmm. What is Peter saying here? We all kind of know what I was talking about. Yeah, we should do that. But there's a spiritual principle. There's something of power that Peter knew, and I'll show you why he knew it. What is he saying? He said, when you do this, this is how Jesus did it. He said, Jesus suffered unjustly. The just for the unjust. Why? Because that is the way he could bring us to God. He's saying, when they defame you, when they cast your name out as evil, when they revile you, if you understand what I'm talking about, the people he wrote to, if you understand it, if you can see it, so you respond right, they're still going to defame you. You have just released something, a spiritual truth, a power, a principle that will start to pave their way to God. He said, this is how, this is how we did it. Peter is an older man here. And when he was younger, I could almost hear him saying, guys, this is what Jesus taught us. John 15, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Didn't he tell them that? Didn't he teach them that the very night before he was crucified? What did he say? If the world hates me, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. How's this? If they kept my word, they will keep yours too. He said that to Peter. In Mark 16, I wish he had the time to go into it. He says, you know, you will cast out them with the great commission. He gives them the commission. Go preach the gospel to all nations. But then he also says, to those who believe, they will speak with new tongues. They will cast out demons. Then it says what? They will pick up serpents. They will take up serpents. And that's been so misunderstood. And I know I've touched on this before. And they will drink poison. Actually, the word there is deadly. And it will by no means hurt them. Those two last statements are Aramaic idioms of the day. To pick up serpent means it's a reputational attack. David wrote about it in the Psalms. The poison of asps or adders or vipers is in their mouth. They attack me night and day. He's talking about when you do this, when you go and stand for truth, they are going to come at you. They are going to defame you. They are going to lie about you. Look what they did in Acts. They literally had to get false people to bring false witness because there was nothing that they could accuse them with. Why did they get beaten in Acts 5 and rejoice? They rejoiced worthy that they were worthy to suffer shame for the name. Why? They were not, not because they were, well, they probably were a bit strange at that point, but not because they were weird, not they weren't masochistic. That's a strange scripture. Because Jesus said, if they did it to me, they're going to do it to you. But there's a spiritual power in it. Why? Because when you suffer for doing right, for doing good, it puts such courage in us to know that actually we are releasing something in the spirit realm. We are releasing something that starts 
to pave a way if they choose it, they still have to choose it, for them to see the truth. So he's like, don't react, don't do this, just do that. And Peter says, guys, this is how we did it. First they threatened us, then they arrested us, put us in jail. Then they arrested us again and put us in the common prison with other prisoners. Then they beat us, which means to flay, like to flay skin. Then they beat us and we rejoiced. And but during those time, we got to preach to the Sanhedrin, to the Jewish council three times and priests started to get saved. That doesn't mean be a martyr. That doesn't mean go look for a fight. There is a spiritual principle. So now Peter, as an older man, is writing, when they do this, it's okay. Because this is how Jesus did it. He suffered the just for the unjust. There's something in this, guys. Do it this way. Do it the Jesus way. To drink anything deadly, by the way, means of the nature of death. It's the power of life and death in the tongue. It's an Aramaic idiom. It means they're going to attack you. They're going to come at you. Why? Because you're not of the world. So I believe they took courage. When those things were happening, they're like, man, we're doing it right. This is exactly what he said would happen. And it did. It didn't make it easier. It doesn't make that suffering, that tribulation, that persecution, doesn't make it easy. But you are, it is one of the most godlike things you can do. It's what Jesus did for you. Are you. Am I making sense? So years later, under the inspiration, now read this. Read the same scripture. Years later, Peter pens this. If you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats. Do not be troubled. Sanctify the Lord in your heart. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness, with fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct may be ashamed. He said, oh, there's a power here. Why? Because Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us. There's some people, there's some Positions of authority, there's some councils, there's some boards, there's some that will only come this way. And I say this to you prophetically, not doom and gloom, but the church in this nation needs to remember this now. Look at the manner in which they did it. It wasn't reaction and screams and shouts and do it the Jesus way. Oh boy, how to win friends and influence people. Not like this. Elizabeth Elliot, who knows Jim Elliot, the guy who was killed by the people he went to witness to, famous guy. She knew this. At the end of her life, you know what she preached? One of her last sermon series, seven part, ser seven part sermon series called Suffering is Not for Nothing. Can I show you the second principle real fast? We're over time. You guys are going to be so gracious, right? So, man, just look at you guys. I don't know what church you go to, but they're teaching you good stuff. So, 1 Peter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us, 
in the flesh, meaning on the cross, arm yourselves with the same mind. That's, he's saying the same thing. Have the same mindset. For he who has suffered in, the, suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That verse has been used to do some pretty weird things to some people. There used to be like catechisms and like sects of people that would like hurt themselves, cut themselves, put weird things on their legs to hurt themselves to stop them from sinning. That's weird. It's weird. It doesn't mean that. He who suffers in the flesh ceases from sin. It means when you've actually stood, you go look at it in the Greek, when you've stood for the truth and it's come at you and you've handled it and you've seen this truth, it's a truth. Joseph knew this truth. Joseph, uh, Daniel knew this truth. And you see it all through scripture and you see it. You treat sin differently afterwards. You no longer flirt with it because you see its path. You see where it leads. You no longer, it's not a joke in a sense, some things anymore because you've seen where it, it's, its deception has been unmasked to you. That's what it means. When you suffer for righteousness, it changes your attitudes towards the things of the kingdom of darkness. There's a, no thank you. And it says, verse two, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of the men, lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past. I laugh when I read this because it's true of most of us. We have spent enough of our past lifetime, meaning before you were saved, in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties. Some of you are going, yeah, I remember that drinking party. Mm. Drinking parties, abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they, those people, think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same way, in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. But it says what? But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Meaning what? They don't need to give an account to you. You don't sit in judgment over them. But that will come when you don't run with them. Especially in today's world. Especially when what is being said is love is not love. Now you can actually get attacked saying, how can you not be loving? Hello? Hello? And you may not be able to explain it, but don't betray the conscience in your heart. And it may bring you some suffering for the sake of righteousness. Rejoice. Rejoice. Why? What's the second principle? This, this will amaze us. It does me. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though something strange has happened to you. I find that it's like Peter speaking to young people. Oh, don't worry. This is not strange. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. How's this? If you are reproached, it says this in black and white. If you are reproached, if you suffer persecution, if you are defamed, if they come against you, rejected, spoken about, lied about, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Oh boy. Literally black and white. Peter said, guys, this is how we did it. They would do it we would say nothing. We would not revile back. We would not accuse back. And what happened? Well, we got to get up and speak. And what happened? The glory of God came upon them. 
doesn't say in you. That the Spirit of God is in you, salvation for you. He rests upon you for somebody else. The church in this nation has an opportunity here. And I know we're going along, but this is so important. The church in this nation has an opportunity to remember the old ways and restore the old power. When you are defamed, when you are suffer for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of the kingdom, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If it's upon you, it means it's for somebody else. That's how they transformed cultures. Hello. That's how they changed nations. That's how they changed councils. That's how they turned things. It was said of these men that understood this. Here come the people who turned the world upside down. Because of this one truth. It's what Jesus taught them. It's how they did it. And it's how people in this nation will need to do it again. But do not fear their fear. Rejoice. Doesn't make it easy, but rejoice. Because it is the path to the glory of God resting again on the church and becoming an answer the right way. The right way. God's way. I'm going to read you two scriptures and we're done. Joseph knew this, by the way. David knew this. What did he say? Don't touch Saul's anointed while Saul's trying to kill him. Don't touch him. It's not for us to do. What happened next? He became king. What did Paul say? My grace, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's what God said to Paul. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Same thing. What did he say in Philippians 3? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. In other words, doing something that will bring many. We didn't get to the practical. We've gone over some of it. I'll have to get to more of this next week. I hope this made sense today. It's one side of a coin. I understand that. Don't betray your conscience. Stand up with courage. Don't look for fights. Just live for the Lord. Make a decision. I belong to him. What comes, comes. Martin Luther, when they said, recant. All the truth that he brought out in the world, they said, recant. He said, no. They said, recant. No. Eventually, you know, the he said, I can, I can do no other. I cannot. And all sorts of things were let loose. But we live in freedom because he was willing to do it. There is a way in God that generations past have, have told us about that few have seen. To suffer for righteousness' sake releases a power and a glory of the Lord that leads to what most of us pray for, revival. We pray for revival. Sometimes this is the path to it. Amen? What a nice, encouraging message. So, I do trust it was encouraging. I really do. 
It's vital for our future in this nation. Amen. Tommy, can we stand real quick? Thank you. Thank you. I know we went over time. Separate yourself in your heart and to the Lord. Today, don't wait. Today, now. Make, make that choice. I will stand for truth and I will stand for courage. Can you close your eyes real quick? While you stretch and yawn and so forth. Make the choice. Lord, let me just pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. Empower us to stand with you, Lord. When they throw the stones at you, we will stand with you, Jesus. Give us wisdom. Reveal truth. Show us your ways. Teach us your paths. Make the choice even now. Lord, I stand with you. I stand with you. Let me respond in meekness, with respect, and without betraying my conscience. So that I may bring them to the Lord if they choose it. I ask you in this week to pray for the church in this nation. Lord, restore this truth without people thinking like a victim or like a martyr. Stand with courage in this hour. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We thank you that you did this in a way that we never could. Let your presence invade our hearts and our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.